we are recording. Recording in progress. With Mr. Rick Prado on Sunday, April 23rd, 2023 at 2.22 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you've come on here once before, I believe last fall, maybe last summer-ish. We discussed your book, uh, Black Ops, which will be in the description. But more importantly, I am, as I've said before on the show, and as I'm finally starting to do, I want to compile all of the stories of the of interactions. Um, obviously, everything that's unclassified. Everyone I've contacted, it's like, I can't tell you what I did with Billy. And I'm like, just tell me any story, and we'll put it on camera, even if it's we had a beer. So I'm trying to compile all those stories about the late uh, Billy Waugh, who passed away earlier this year at 93, who is, I mean, the Babe Ruth of Special Forces, the Michael Jordan. He truly changed the game in, in the most literal sense of that. Um, but Mr. Prada, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is uh, Rick Prado. I started life as a uh, U.S. Uh, pararescueman in the Air Force. And um, I went on to be chief of operations at CIA's Counterterrorist Center. Um, I'm a plank owner of the Bin Laden Task Force. We started in 1996. So good career, which is always enhanced by the fact that I met giants like Billy Wall. And um, as again, as I when I asked Baz and asked Dale, and they're like, Tom, I can't legally tell you what I've what I know about Billy. And I was like. Tell me anything. Did he give you a pair of socks? So I don't even know if the stories I'm going to be getting are even real, which kind of makes it even better. <laughs> but um, if it all, if it's just a charade, if I'm just putting together a total snow job that isn't real. But in terms of, because you did know him very well, and uh, obviously we were, we were praying for him when his, his health started to go down. And I do tell the story about how last fall the, the plan was I was going to come down and visit you and, and meet him and. uh you told me to be on my best behavior because at 93, he would still kill me. And I said, I don't doubt that. And I've told that story many a times. Um, could you maybe, in the time we have, tell some of the more meaningful interactions, not just in terms of accomplishment and badassery, but maybe in terms of ethical and moral weight or wisdom? What are some of your more notable uh, golden memories of Mr. Wall? Well, you know, I met Billy uh, in real early 1990 uh, in the Philippines. He was um, had started with the agency after his great career in special in special forces, legendary guy in special forces. Parachuted into North Vietnam, free fall halo a couple of times. So, uh, real deal. Uh, if you if you read uh, his book and, and some other books that support it, you know, you, you're talking a guy that jumped nuke. Uh, backpacks yeah. at Area 51 practicing for the, the delivery of those kind of things. He was a team leader for that. But, um, you know, like you said, everybody has Bill, Billy Waugh war stories. Um, so I won't, I'll, I'll let them tell those, especially if there's anybody that was near or there. Um, but one of the things that I loved about Billy was Billy was an incredible hero who was incredibly humble. Mm. Billy was never a braggart, um, very confident, very competitive. You know, I loved everything about him. And like I said, one of my biggest badge of honors is the fact that he calls me, called me friend. And that, that to me meant the world. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough talking about it because it is the, the whole still there. You know, we, we, we lost a great guy. 
but uh, there, there's some levity and there's some things with with Billy uh, uh, in no no chronological order. But uh, so this is about three years ago, I think it was three or four. No, maybe four or five years ago. So Billy calls me. He, I'm Cuban born, so he calls me up and he says, "Hey Rick, I'm going to Cuba." I said, "Why the hell are you going to Cuba, Billy?" He says, "I'm going to do a skydive." Now he's like 88 years old by then, right? And his legs are all shut up. And I said, "Billy, what are you talking about? You can't even land on, on you know, on, on your feet." Yeah, he goes, uh, "Well, yeah, no, I'm doing this with uh, another SF guy that we both know, and." Uh, He's 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 been uh, contracted to do a demo skydive for the skydiving club there in 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 Havana, and I'm gonna land in the water, and he's gonna land in the in the land. So uh, I said okay. So I go to, I have to go talk to my wife. My wife adores Billy. I mean you know uh, I sent you a picture of uh, mm-hmm. her, uh, Billy and, and Billy's wife, and uh, I tell her I said you ain't gonna believe this. I tell her the story. She goes. You, you got to stop him. You can't let him do this. I said, Carvin, first of all, there's no stopping Billy Wall. Yeah. But second, you got to understand the mentality. If Billy jumps into Cuba and he gets killed, the legend lives on. Yeah. If Billy goes to Cuba, jumps and nothing happens, the legend lives on. So, <laughs> you know, at 88, that's the way to go. She could not, she just rolled her eyes and see you guys are all crazy. Um, but he did. He did his jump. Jumped out of an Antonov, so out of a Russian airplane over communist <laughs> Cuba, and, and and there was a lady that jumped with him, and he kept uh, making comments about how well uh, proportioned she was. <laughs> and uh, sent me some great pictures of him with her. He's a real flirt. And uh, but but th- that that's Billy. I mean, um, a firebrand. I mean, a guy that never accepted that his mission had ended. Mm. Um, I met Billy in 1990 in the, uh, the Philippines, early on in the Philippines. And um, he was the head of surveillance and counter surveillance for the, for the station for a while there. Those are TDY jobs anyway. And um, I had met him once or twice before, but that couple of months that he was there, we, uh, we got to be good friends. And I used to come to the house and that's where he met my wife. But Billy was already, um, you know, a mature guy, you know, he wasn't, sure. you know, he was most of a 30, 40 year old kid. And his, he would run around the Das Marinas compound in Manila, Makati area, memorizing license plates that did not belong there at five o'clock in the morning before we would go to work. That was his first recon was he would run through the whole neighborhood and memorize Quite, quite, quite says, and if he saw any car that he didn't recognize from before, he would memorize the, the license plates. And if everybody yeah. listening, 1990, he would have been 60 because he was born in 1930. Yeah, he was 60 years Jesus. old. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's a particular vignette that this friend of mine's going to help me telling it, but I'm not going to say his name. Um, maybe I won't. No. Um, so Billy is very competitive, and he's a he was a hell of a racquetball player. And we had this this guy in, in the uh, paramilitary guy. He was a ground branch guy, a uh, friend of ours, who was TDY there, and uh, or actually he was PCS. Either anyway, he was there. And I talked to Billy, and he says, "Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll play. I'll play him. Well, I'll play him in, in racquetball." We we were setting the poor guy up, 
So he goes in there, and of course, he didn't know Billy. He'd heard of him, but, you know, he's a 60-year-old yeah. guy. This guy's a strapping, I think he was 101st Airborne kind of guy. And He comes out about 30 minutes later. He's drenched in sweat. His racket is, by the string, dragging on the ground. He's shaking his head. And right behind him is Billy walking like nothing's happened. With beaming. He looked at me and says, he pulverized me. I said, there you go. I've <laughs> been pulverized by the legend. So even at 60, besides running around Nas Marinas and everything else, um, he was actually yeah, that competitive at, at, at sports. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really not just... Because sometimes a legend, sometimes the idea of a legend can almost start to inflate the person. Not not the individual, but the aura around them. It's like they say, don't meet your heroes, right? You're going to meet your favorite artist or something. You're going to realize he's just a guy. He might be... He might make your favorite songs, but he's just a guy. He seems to be one of the few cases where, I mean, it's all backed up. It's all real. Everything he did. I mean, when I read Annie Jacobson's Surprise Kill Vanish, I think I read it the year I started the podcast, so 2019. I thought Billy Waugh was like an amalgamation. I thought it was like a character she made and just put all these classified stories together. And then I found out he was real. And he seems to be one of the few cases that actually did the thing i mean truly i mean it's, it's a meme at this point the pictures of, of billy wah in iraq in 03 at 73 with like i think we've all seen the picture with like a with like a, it's like a silenced mp5 and like sunglasses on that my grandpa would wear yeah and yeah yeah there, there's 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 a cute story to that uh afghanistan deployment okay so billy um Kofor Black was our director at, C at the Counter-Terrorist Center where 9-11 happened. And Kofor Black was also the chief of station in, in, in Khartoum when Billy was stumping around, kept capturing the jackal mm -hmm. and, and and messing with Bin Laden. So I was the chief of ops at the Counter-Terrorist Center at the time. And uh, Hank Crumpton, I think, was there, or Ben Bunk, one of the two. There's somebody else in the room with us when, when Kofor called us in. He says, you know that... Damn, Billy Wad just walked in here and demanded that I send him to Afghanistan. Yeah. And and he goes, uh, and I go, so? He goes, you know, he's 72 years old. <laughs> I say, yeah. And he says, he had the gall to tell me that because he captured Carlos for me, that that's how I made senior grade that I owed him. <laughs> he was talking to a five-star general, right? <laughs> Equivalent. And... And, and a dear friend of mine, Kofor is one of the best, if not the best boss I ever had in, 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 in the agency. And to this day, we're good friends. I even brought him over to Blackwater myself afterwards. But uh, so I told him pretty much what the same thing I told my wife. I said, you know, if Billy dies in Afghanistan, the legend is believable. If Billy comes back, the legend continues, you know. And um, so that that was uh, that was he was looking for counsel. And we all told him, said, yeah, let him go. And. Yeah. Amazing. I'm 72 years old. Yeah. Um, I would like to think that I could still do that, but I don't really want to. <laughs> you know, that yeah. was the difference. Yeah. There's so there's something to pick up, and that yeah, that too is in Annie Jacobson's book. Yeah, he he like posted outside his office and like wouldn't go away. It's like the end of the day, and he was going home, and he was like, "Billy, you got to get out of." Like he was like, I think he said like Billy was just like sitting in the hallway, and he was like, "Go home," and he was like, "No." And he was like, what are you doing? He's like, this isn't funny. Like, you're an old man. And he was basically like, I'm going to sit here and get older. And he finally, he was like, fine. Like, I'll do it. Like, like a little kid pouting. 
Like, no, I want the candy. Like, go to bed. Like, I want the candy. Finally, your dad's just like, fuck it. Like, t- take the candy. Like, he looks at my mom like, oh, Trish, you won't shut up. Like, you know, something like that. But what you just said, though, is would you even want to? And it's it's what you just said about the going there in Afghanistan or going to Cuba. That idea itself, I think, is something to, to pick apart. Because, again, like... You can go into all the war stories, the Halo jumps, and Korea, Vietnam, Mac V. Sog, the Saddams. Like, it's all, that's all well and good, and, you know, you can, and people have written books about it. But there's, like, there's, there's a deeper operating system that you can break apart, and it's the, it's the win-win scenario. I go out guns blazing, I die for my country, the legend lives on. I survive, the legend lives on. That kind of seems in itself something he truly, it wasn't a bluff. It wasn't a, sometimes I remember in college, you'd psych yourself up. You'd go talk to a hot girl at the bar and you'd be like, I don't even care. I don't even care if she says no. But deep down, you still care. When she says no, you're like, fuck. Billy actually didn't care if he died. He was going to, he, the only reason Billy wouldn't want to die is because it would mean he lost. But there was no... There was no overarching fear. And that seems to be something that he truly just did up until his last breath. And he just happened to stay alive for 93 years of it. Yeah, you know, and, 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 the, and the, the center, the, the epicenter of, of Billy Waugh is in what drew, drove Billy Waugh, in my humble opinion, was the fact that he believed in what he was doing. Hmm. Billy went and try to enlist in the military before he had, he was yeah. of age, yeah. you know, gets arrested. You, you know the story. And because he felt the, you know, the the call of duty and eventually he gets in and goes into, goes to Korea, comes back, gets into special forces, goes to Mac V. Sog and so on and so on and so on. Billy never lost his purpose. And, and one of the things that I worked with him on a lot was bringing him up to Fort Bragg. He used to go to Fort Bragg for every graduation of the uh, officers when they got the berets and the um, uh, and uh, the warrant officers when they got uh, when they got uh, you know made there, and um, so that th- those were regular sp- uh, speaking gigs. But we try to get him up there every time we could get a nice gaggle of people um, because that's what gave him purpose. He's already in his eighties. You know, he's not going to be jumping out of airplanes, you know, after the one in Cuba. And Mm -hmm. like I said, that one was, you know, that that, that was just off the charts. And, uh, but he literally believed that you, as long as you have breath, you should be contributing to something higher than yourself. And that's what we all love about Billy. Billy was a silent leader. Um, Billy did not pontificate about anything. He just demonstrated hmm. his lead follower, get the fuck out of the way, kind of kind of yeah. leading. But that was Billy. And, you know, his reputation in, in, in SF to this day is golden. Um, his reputation in the agency was in, incredible. Yeah. Everybody knew who Billy Wallet was. Uh, I have gotten so many notes from people that I didn't even know knew Billy Wall that were in the agency, but says, Look, I never had the chance to meet him, but I've heard so much about him. I know you're, you know, this is it's just on and on. So that, I think that that's everything you see on the outside is caused by that heartfelt debt of honor to this country, um, and and do it while you're still breathing, you know. And 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 he did. 
He did. And I think you said that the amazing part was is that he, I don't know if he confided in you for something you read, just kind of off his off his body language or but he said he still hadn't felt that he had done enough uh, yeah that was a conversation that we've had several times and and uh and i and i and i've i've used him as an example and wayne fisk which was my pararescue uh mentor um you show me a guy a warrior that believes that he has done more than other people or that he's done enough and he ain't real Hmm. Guys like Billy Wall, guys like Wayne Fisk, those kind of guys, that's what that's their purpose in life. God put them on this earth to defeat evil and gave them all the tools necessary, the wiring necessary to do it. Uh, but at the same time is is the humble aspect of, of, of Billy. I'm wearing this shirt because of them, mm -hmm. um, because. One of the things that I make sure that we all keep in mind, those of us who are who have been in this business, is that we walked in the shadows of giants. You know, Colfer Black, Dewey Claridge, Billy Waugh. Um, if that doesn't make somebody in the agency humble, nothing does. Because these people are, are, are bigger than life individuals, and, and they're just specially wired for what they do. Do you think it's only possible to, <clears throat> and I suppose this would require an examination of warriors over all ages, but is it only possible to have someone give that 111% if they truly believe that the thing behind them is, is a greater creation than themselves? I, th I think I think it was, the, it was the, not, not the comedian George Carlin, Dan Carlin. He has a great six-part series on World War One called Blueprints for Armageddon. And he's reading a, and he's reading a transcript from whatever something from like the mid 1920s. So it's like a couple years after World War One, and it's somebody saying that World War One could never happen again, because the only reason they endured the trenches is because of, and then they list memories. It's sitting on Grandpa's leg at Christmas in whatever Berlin. It's you know, it's walks near the Riviera in whatever Paris. It's. The entire thing is is they weren't fighting because they wanted to walk into the hellscape that is World War One. They're fighting for the idyllic thing behind them. And that's why it can't happen again. And the whole logic is because World War One destroyed those things. And obviously we went into World War Two. But do you think that's part of it? If not all of it, there has to be a, a golden city behind you. I, I do believe that, like I said, these these are folks that are are. are are wired differently than the average individual. And you, you got to understand when you are a, uh, a military person of any ilk, you're 2% of the population at the moment, if you're serving, 2%. So if you make it to special forces, special operations forces writ large, okay, so Green Berets, Raiders, um, you know, Green um, um, SEAL team guys, pararescue, combat controllers, if you're part of that, you're 1% of a 2% of the population. That's that's not even halfway. That's us, average guys. Imagine when you have a guy like Billy Waugh, like Wayne Fisk, like several others that we've had, Sing Lao, all these individuals that we've had, that they are legends within that 1% of 2% 
of the goddamn population. It's just, just they they are giants. They are literally individuals that, in in the beauty of them, they're all humble. Because there are very few of these people. I have never seen it. I have never met one that that was constant braggadocio about what they had done. I know more about Billy's stories from his friends than I know from Billy. Wow. And I've, like I said, I've known him for 30-some years, and we've had 50,000 conversations. And he's not the kind of guy that tells you, well, there are was. And, no, no he'll, t- he'll tell you about you know Camacho and some of the other guys that he you know he's he's written about and uh, but it, there's the big huge humble factor for him there yeah. and he he is so well thought out in the community I'll show you this this uh, I got this a um, couple of days ago from from forces run yeah yeah they actually minted a coin with uh, with his on there and his name so um, yeah. The real deal. When it almost comes down to that philosophical dilemma of, I don't know, who's probably some philosopher, Aristotle, whatever. Like the man that thinks he knows knows nothing, and the man that knows he knows nothing is the person that knows everything. And it's this dilemma of, this is episode 1196. I'm less confident now in my ability to do podcasting than I was a thousand episodes ago. I am now I realize that I don't understand a thing I'm talking about. I have no, I talked to individuals like you or doctors and it, it really settles in that I have no idea what's going on in this world. Like the grasp I thought I had on this. I'm born in 1990 and I went to Catholic school and Republicans and Democrats and football and then I talk to people who are like fleeing genocide in Africa and I'm like what the hell is this or having on an economist and I'm like but my high school teacher and they look at you like you're an idiot and the farther I get into this, the more I realize I, I don't know a thing about the world. And that, I guess, increases humility. Do you think it's it's that, that these guys have gone through so many things where I would imagine, you know, they know they're talented. They might not say it through humility, but they, they have, I would imagine, I would imagine they have some, some conscious grasp of the role of luck in it. And that might play into humility. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, at least in, in in my case and a couple of other people that I know, um, Billy being one of them, we believe we were put on this earth to do what we ended up doing. And of course, you know, com- I don't compare myself with Billy in, in any shadow because I mean, forget it. Is this? There's no competing with him. He is uh, he is a guy that 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 really has always believed in doing. Uh, not talking about it, not, you know, uh, teaching it so much. He was a doer. Uh, he didn't stay, he could have stayed longer in, in, in SF if he wanted to. Uh, they, you know, they would have never let him go, but he didn't want to get into training and any of that. He wanted, to, he wanted to go back to action. And it took him a while to get into the agency. It took him a few years. But once he managed that, I mean, Billy's, one of Billy's biggest job was that surveillance capability he was extremely smart mm-hmm. extremely uh, aware kind of individual he had incredible instincts uh, besides the courage and everything else and imagine that your job is going from country to country doing undetectable surveillance on your operations officers to make sure that they're not being ambushed or they're not going to be surprised or or, or or things like that day in and day out 
And we're not talking, we don't use these guys in Paris. Okay. We're, we're talking cartoons. Yeah. We're, we're talking Manila. You know, we're talking Yemen. We're talking every hellholes. Yeah, hellholes. And where people get, you know, Billy used to jog in cartoon. Nobody jogs in cartoon. First of all, the, the quality of the air, it's got the highest fecal matter of any country in the world, right? And, and he used to run around cartoon. And, he, he, and when I asked him, I said, why'd you get away with that? You're tragically white yeah. in a 99% in a country. And he says, he says, Sushrekishers, they, they, they just look at you like, look at that crazy white guy hey. running around the street. It was like, That's you it. know, after the 47th time they see you. But uh, he, uh, he, uh, he, that's how he made book. That's how he kept tabs on, on Bin Laden. He would literally go running around his compound uh, every day, different times. Um, he had created a, a, a hide in a, in a nearby building. That he, that's the first photographs the agency got from Bin Laden that weren't from the Saudis or whatever, that it was ours, was, was Billy. And... Uh, he tells the story when 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 we uh, when we discuss things like you know what would have happened if they would have allowed us to neutralize Bin Laden in the mid nineteen nineties, you know what 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 would have been the outcome? You know the coal probably wouldn't have happened, the the bombing of our twin engines, uh, embassies in, in in Africa and maybe even nine eleven, you know. So and and Billy says it's just Rick. He says I was so close to him I could have killed him with a rock, Jesus. and you sit there and you go. He meant it. I mean, th he wasn't bragging. Yeah, he that said, wasn't I, bullshit. He was he was within physical proximity. He could have killed him was, with a rock. They, he, he says, I could have killed him with a rock. Yeah. yeah. This isn't, yeah, this isn't some bullshit. Not hyperbole. No. This isn't some bullshit where I went to, it's, it's like going to, I vaguely remember going to like Fenway Park in Boston with my family in 04. And it's like you grow, you know, grew up in New England. So you're watching the Red Sox and you see these guys you always see on TV and you're like, I could reach out and touch. But they're 600 feet from you. No, Billy was actually within proximity to kill this man. That wasn't, yeah. Now, Annie Jacobson talks about, yeah, and he'd wear prosthetics. He was so white that they, they had them, the agency had to make him like like black prosthetics and stuff just so he could not totally glow like me. If you could go into his mind, just go in subjectively and like hear the inner consciousness stream, do you think, in, and this is entirely, you know, speculation that could never be proven do you think a guy like that feels fear because if if he doesn't feel fear i almost you almost don't want to say he doesn't feel fear i feel like because you're right you can't be brave if you don't feel fear do you think a guy like that felt fear do you think it was just a different animal do you think he was so laser focused it was almost like like a religious experience. What, what do you think a mind like that is? You know, and, and with the guys that I've worked with and, and, and my own experiences, and of course with Billy, um, you may get apprehensive before doing something. But once that, I think that the thing that a warrior develops is a switch, like the old TVs of the 60s. Turn on. You could click it to a different channel. And that's where you can have a guy as pleasant and charming as Billy Wah, who had my wife eating out of out of his hand because he's such a charmer's, you know, Texas boy. That and then all of a sudden go click click, and now he's going to kill you with a pencil. Yeah. Um, you know, it's once you get into in, into the action, um, those who survive are those that are there to get the mission done, 
and and uh, they have that like you said that laser focus on what's the moment but i go back to what i said earlier you have to believe in what you do yeah you know if you're doing it for any ulterior motives you will have a hesitation but if you honestly believe that you are in this jungle in vietnam going after that general that if i kill him it's going to save american lives i'm going to make a difference that very few people other can and you know embrace the suck yeah know? yeah there is and then you almost get into the idea of yeah and i've 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 been lucky enough to hang out with uh Dale Comstock and Joe Teddy. Once I got to go shooting with them, they're both former Ground Branch guys. Yeah. Oh no, they're the most. Yeah, the most charming shit-eating bastards. And but like you, it's almost like, it's almost like if you're like playing with a cat, and then all of a sudden you put your hand under like a under a blanket and move it around, and their eyes go black. I always joked about like when I was with Dale, I was joking like I wanted to see if I could get the eyes to go black. Like what would happen if I, you know, came up behind him and grabbed him or something? Would he kill me? You know, that would, have been, would have been a great story. He would have absolutely killed me. Um, you, you would have paid the price. A hundred percent. I would not be here right now. But I think that's probably what it is. Is well, they describe it ap- apprehension going into a mission sometimes because they're human. They're like you can't, you can't not. Every once in a while, I think Dale would say like the gravity hits you that you're in like a you're somewhere where even the agency denies you exist and you're using weapons that aren't American. You're covered in cash that isn't yours and you don't no one's there. No one knows you're there. And he goes, it's hard not to. Well, your stomach starts rolling. But I think he said like the the metaphorical, the, I guess the game starts, the game whistle starts and it's just like silence like you're you're there. And it's when it's over, he was like, you can have like, you can get nervous after it. It can be over. Everything goes well. You're back home and you're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. But I think that's probably what it is. It's just a, it's it's a game time. It's a different it's a different frequency. You know, I, I've seen movies where, you know, the guys are in, in uh, near death situations and they're thinking about their wives and their kids. I will tell you that that's not really the case. <laughs> When the shit's going on, the only thing you're looking at is the shit. Yeah. The only thing you're worried about is the shit. Yeah. And yeah, you know, before going there, you may be looking at a photograph sure. of your kids. And when you come back with the, the adrenaline shakes, look yeah. at that photo again and, and kiss it. But when the game is on, they're not thinking about yeah. mothers, dogs, pets, wives, kids. You can't. You cannot afford to. You have to be in the moment. Yeah. So... Yeah, now Dale said that before. I've heard that story from Dale and from Joe Tata. Yeah, they don't mention any of that bullshit. They're like, no, time slows down, and you just kind of, like, it's silent, and you just see, like, footsteps and, like, every individual sound. There's none of that romantic kind of horse shit. Um, back to the idea of believing in what's behind you and believing in your mission. There's almost a, there's almost a natural feedback system in that a society... A society will only continue. Obviously, there's inertia, right? You can work out and diet every day and then stop working out and dieting. It's going to take a couple months to start to get flabby. There is an inertia. So with a nation, it might take years or decades, but a society can maybe only continue to thrive if it truly is good and just and something that's a cut above the rest because when you're in this shit, you know, you could you can have you could have enlisted people. You could you know conscript soldiers, but you're only going to produce a Billy Waugh 
if it's truly, you know, the shining city on the hill. If a nation starts to decline, it will it will not produce those people who are willing to go that last 1%. There's there's a there's a saying that hard times make hard Mm men, -hmm. hard men make Good soft times. times, soft times make soft men, and Yeah. and um, so that 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 always comes to mind. But you know, you um, I believe that guys like Billy uh, understand that the day you stop trying to be better all around, and this this you can this is in the macro to the micro, uh, you know, it, it goes the same for a country. We're far from perfect. Sure. Uh, we're not building walls to keep people inside this country. People No. still want to come here because it's still better than the average humanity out there. But as a person, as a husband, as a wife, as a son, as a as a an American patriot, I am pretty sure that that individual is always thinking, "I have to do better. I could have done better. I have to continue to improve." whether it's physical fitness, go shooting more often, you know, learning another language better, whatever it is that, that it's a requirement for you to have your mission. Um, guys that are wired like Billy, I wasn't kidding when I told you. I mean, if, if you pissed off Billy at 92, he would hit you over the head with that cane. There's Yeah. no doubt in my mind that he would hit you over the head with a cane severely. Yeah. You know, And he might throw his shoulder out and he might throw his knee out, but you'd be out. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. And, and uh, it's just always being in the game for him, uh, you know, especially as he got older, where he knew that he was not going to go to Afghanistan at 88. Um, he was still active. He was still engaged. He was still passing on his wisdom to to the uh, to the students at, at Fort Bragg. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's what drives individuals like Billy, you know. And then I'm always, I'm always torn. I'm 32 now and, I, you know, part of it's just becoming, you're just, you know, growing up and you're realizing it's not all happy-go-lucky when like you're a kid. And I see the flaws in the United States, but, you know, you, I always hear there's kind of just these shit-eating people in my generation say like oh you know the only reason you love because i'm i mean if it doesn't give away i'm very you know shamelessly i love this country and people will say the more time you spend outside of this country the less you love it and all right fair enough that's a you know i've never spent considerable time in another country but if you walk that logic out then the people who love this, who who hate this country the most should be people who spend the least amount of time in it, right? Because you realize everything else is theoretically better. But the friends I have who grew up in Bulgaria and Kosovo are the friends I knew who dragged their balls over glass to get green cards and become citizens. So as much as it's easy to to look at where we are and see flaws in it, the fact that, and again, it's back to biology, it's the membrane, the equilibrium, the gradient. We're not keeping people in. There are no walls. This is no East Berlin. We're not keeping people in here. There's no surveillance videos. Remember in North Korea a couple of years ago when that guy grabbed the van and like defected? He got shot a couple of times. But he gave it all because he was like anything. And then he went to like South Korea and they were pulling like foot-long tapeworms out of him. It was anything to get out of that shithole. 
and this is, I guess this really doesn't even have anything to do with Billy Wall. This is just me asking you. Is it a natural part of getting older and you, I don't know, it's, you know, probably funny me saying getting older at 32. You look at me and you're like, you shithead. But even now, just, yeah, I'm 32, not 22. Is that part of it where you get older and no, it's not perfect, but it's worth fighting for because it's the least imperfect place. And that's something I truly believe with all my heart. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give a shit to, to, to do an interview like this. If it's not something that truly meant something to, I get, I get nothing out of this. You're, you're not getting anything out of this. It's something no, that I truly believe in. You're, you're, you're spot on with that. But, you know, um, I, I have spent a lot of time overseas. Okay. And I guarantee you that there's certain things we got going for us. Okay. Yeah. Um, people may envy us. It's human nature. You know, sure. They have us so good. They're so powerful. Uh, I always remind people that we, when people say that the United States is an imperialist uh, a nation, I said, name me what land did we gain during World War, after World War II? Yeah. What terrain did we gain? Yeah. What did we see? Only the cemeteries where our warriors are buried. That's the only real state we, we, uh, we got out of this. So what you have is a lot of people, you know, <laughs> When they speak, they talk about, well, the United States this, the United States that. But we're still the envy of where, that's where people want to come. People want to come to the United States to be part of that. Um, as you know, I'm Cuban born. I mm -hmm. came to the country when I was 10 years old by myself. And when my father finally got out, uh, eight or nine months later, uh, called me back from the orphanage, he... Um, I don't think he'd been in this country six months when he looked at me and says, you know, we're not going back. Most Cubans that left during that period came to the United States for safe haven. But the greater majority wanted to go back to their country. Well, there were people like my dad that go in. I ain't leaving this. I'm fucking leaving here. I don't give a crap how good Cuba was before Castro. I ain't leaving this. Get out of here. This is where I'm staying. And you know, it's funny. And it's so apropos because... Billy was also a hell of a CIA guy. Yeah, uh, Billy could recruit. Billy could do anything. But one advantage that the agency has is that we are seen by subconsciously, not not consciously, but subconsciously, we are seen as the guys with the white hats when it comes to stopping the evil stuff. There isn't a country that can singularly stand up to communism. Socialism, terrorism, anarchism, radicalism, any of the isms, we are always the, the tip of the spear. I love our Brit allies, our Australian allies, sure. Polish, and so on, so on, so on. But at the end of the day, the average person, so when you, when, you know, um, the, the communist bloc intelligence services, they recruit as much for weaknesses as, as they do strengths. They may, you know, strength being you're ideologically compatible with communism, which says you're a moron. But, you know, yeah, I'm prejudiced on that. Yeah, no, but, yeah, means you're brain dead. <laughs> so a hundred million dead, but we're going to do it right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. There, there's people starving in Venezuela, even though the oil comes out of the ground uh, for, for a reason. Fucking but a, at the end of the day, that that's 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 the driving force there. You know, it's it's. Uh, when we approach somebody um, to recruit them to help us 
right or wrong or fight an enemy in their country, uh, if they're believers, they look at us as the only hope. And that allows us to recruit primarily for strengths. Hmm. And that's a huge deal. Uh, that, that's very esoteric and very specific for my agency. Um, but I think it works the same thing with DEA guys when they're working overseas. Anybody who's in a country that's drug-ridden and is honestly trying to do something about it will gravitate towards the DEA and become you know, a partner with them because they see them as viable. You know, They see them as that stalwart, uncorruptible when it comes to this kind of stuff. So. If you ever watch those, this is a bit of an odd take, but I'm an odd guy. If you ever seen those videos on YouTube where it's like, I don't know, it's like the idea of being like starting from literally scratch and trying to build something. It'll be like a guy being like, I'm going to build a, a hot tub. And he's like in the woods. He literally starts with like, I'm going to clear the twigs, clear the, clear the leaves. I got to start digging. So he goes and finds a rock and breaks it into a shovel. And then he starts digging. And then he goes and gets mud and makes a pot, leaves it out in the sun and it dries. And now he has a pot. So truly starts from scratch. Like you're just naked in the woods. Can you make a hot tub? And I'll do these time lapses and they're like 30 hours. And he's basically builds these things out of mud and st- and some of them are incredible. He'll build like infinity pools and stuff. And they're, they're great. That is, and maybe it's a flaw. I don't know, but that's how I view everyday life like that's so where someone might say you know the life isn't great you know america sucks i'm in a two-bedroom apartment like i view this as i would a naked person in the woods i'm not even kidding and it's it's i I think it's one of the it's one of the things i'm most grateful to god for is my ability to look at like a door frame and be like that is a perfectly like symmetrical door frame the door shuts the I've got I've got ice water right here in a thermos. I could not in a million years make a metal thermos. I'd die an old man still trying to do that. I took a shower before this. I shaved. I don't know where those blades came from. My bed is made. I don't even know how you would build a, a, a dishwasher. I don't even know. I can barely turn on the, the washing machine. My point is, and let alone this computer, I mean, this is magic. I view every day paved roads, windows. I went to the gym and I wasn't attacked by a neighboring warlord. That's how I view everyday society. And I'm eternally grateful for that. And so from that mindset, when I view something like the United States, it's not perfect. But in the grand scheme of human history, from beating tigers to death with a rock to now, where have you ever found a place that not perfect and not not always 100% protects the liberties of the individual? Is And not only that, but where would that society arise? What are the chances that that society arises on a continent separated by two oceans with two mountain ranges on either side and a bunch of resources in the middle? I guess I look at that and I'm so, with the same gratefulness, a caveman who found an already sharpened rock. And it's like, oh my God, I hit the lottery. That's how I view the United States is from like ancient Egypt to medieval warlords and, and barbarians and plagues. I'm like, everything has just been such total shit for all of history. And we have this little haven. And although I was born into an upwardly mobile, loving nuclear family and not in, in Cuba like you, I still view it like I'm your dad. And I'm like, I'm not leaving here. I, I I rolled I rolled double sixes, man. Like we're on the money. 
that's how I view the United States. And that's why, and I know most people, oh, you, you've never left the United States. You're just a bootlicker. No, I genuinely love this place because I've read enough books to know that the vast majority of human history has been abject misery and pain and rape and beheadings. That's why I'm so grateful for this. And I think that's, maybe I'm tying it into a circle. I think that's why I'm so motivated to to do these interviews for Mr. Watt because I, I feel like I have a, a somewhat decent grasp on just how rare this country is. I don't really know where I was going with that, but thanks for sitting through well, that rant. You're right. You know, there, there's um, the biggest problem we have in this country, and I've had the conversation with Billy, that's why it came up, is that we don't know how good we have it. The average American worries about what we call first world problems. Yeah. My iPad won't work. I have no reception. It's not charging. It's not charged. I mean, you know, it, it, is, it is kind of amazing, the, uh, the, the, the mentality. Um, and I, again, in conversations, I would say things like, look, you know, if I was king for a day, if I was king for a day, you could not go to college. You could not graduate high school. Under, you did 90 days somewhere in a shithole. It could be some of the shitholes we have in the United States. We do have places that, that, that could use. But no iPad, no phone. Um, you boil your water. You take a shower. You, you bathe in the river. You know, you're doing things for AID and, and, or, or, or the, yeah. uh, you know, one of these, you know, uh, NGOs out mm-hmm. there. Something. It doesn't have to be just the military. It's a matter of going out in service on behalf of the United States in seeing, in seeing the difference, feeling the difference. You know, the average American that travels, they don't go to the center of Mexico. They go to Cancun. They go to, you know, Mexico City. And if they're big businessmen, they'll have a armored car, uh-huh. pick them up at the airport. And then they go, yeah, they go to a five-star restaurant. I mean, I've been to some of the best Mex- you know, restaurants I've been is in Mexico City. But, you know, again, you come out of that door, you go like, who's going to shoot me? Yeah. Constantly. You know, and, and the, the poverty thing. When, when, you know, when my, when my oldest son, uh, who was seven or so at the time, we came back from the Philippines, came back to the States for, few, for, for about a year and a half. Um, we went to church and I handed him the envelope like I always have. And he goes, what's this for? And I go... Alex is for for the poor people. He goes, there's no poor people here. We were in Fairfax, Virginia. There were more Mercedes and Volvos in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. He just came from a country that when we would walk out of church, there was a line from here to 300 yards of moms holding babies. And each one of them had some defect or some broken or some illness. And that's what he saw every every Sunday when we went or whenever we drove in the streets, you know. So it's there's a difference between visiting the capital, going to Paris, seeing the Eiffel Tower, eating, having some espressos, blah 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 blah. Yeah, it's different being in Paris and trying to go to their DMV or trying to imagine going to the Italian, my favorite country in Europe. In Europe. Don't get me wrong, I love Italy, but <laughs> it is it is it's a nightmare, you know, and compared to to how we have it here. So it's we just don't understand how good we have it, and guys like Billy do and guys like billy do something about it and i think mm. that that's that's the combination there that's yeah i remember i remember my friends went somewhere somewhere in the caribbean 
our senior year of college, 2013, so about a decade ago. And I had a couple, I love them, but I mean, just shit-eating liberal friends. who were like, that place was so great. Like, I don't know why everyone thinks America's the best. And then another friend of mine who's a doctor, who's a very conservative guy, is like, yeah, you dipshits, none of you wanted to, none of you addressed the fact that at the at the front door of the lobby was a guy in all black with a banana clip, making sure no one came in there. He's like, we weren't in, we weren't in the Caribbean. We were in a little American hotel protected by American security services. And you got to look out on the Caribbean and say, look at this place. But you were protected by a guy who was going to put, put a bullet in anyone's head so that the white kids wouldn't get hurt because that means business would go away forever. And... My buddy Princey from Kosovo, I remember I did, uh, he and I worked security at a bar in Ocean City, Maryland in uh, summer 2014. And he would, uh, Prince would work like 12-hour shifts. And then when I would go home and sleep, he would go to another place and work like an eight-hour shift. But I remember I used to give him like a sandwich or something because my mom, yeah, 24, my mom was like packing my lunches. I would just give him a sandwich. And he would, I always thought he was like fucking with me because he would always like grab me and look me in the eyes and he'd say like my brother. And I'd be like, dude, I just gave you an apple. Like whatever. And finally, we had like, we got off work early one day and he was going to go back to his like shitty hotel. And I was like, dude, just come over. Like, let's go watch the World Cup at like my parents' place. And he was like, okay, okay. And I brought him back. And the same way that I would take goofy pictures if I ever went to like, I don't know, the king of Saudi Arabia's palace. You know, I'd be taking selfies in front of the gold Bentleys. Right. I remember Prince told me, he like gave me his phone. He's like, take a picture of me. And he like threw up the peace signs. And it was in front of like my parents, like, okay, house. And I was like, this is weird. And then he went, he, he had me do it again. And he opened the refrigerator, both doors. And he like did another peace sign. And he put it on Instagram. And all of his friends back home are commenting that our garage had two cars in it. Mind you, Honda Civics, two cars. And the refrigerator was full of food. And he was just like, I've made it. And that is always burned into my mind that I was like, let's go home. And he was so, my dad made him like a turkey burger and Prince was like, he was just like, you are my brother. It's been nine years and Prince still reaches out to me and he's like, you are my fit. He moved to the United States, became a physical therapist, lives in like Manhattan now, has a hot wife, has kids. Like he's living the life. And I always try to remind myself of that, that that's a guy that, I mean, was taking pictures and sending him home. Because our, our refrigerator had both deli meat and milk. That has never even as a joke crossed my mind. And that is, that is, I mean, I'll, I'll never apologize for loving this place. And I know that's not popular in my generation because they're a bunch of shit-eating communists. But I guess I'm just, I don't know. I feel like I, I know what this place is. And maybe I'm, who knows, maybe I'm ignorant, maybe I'm self-absorbed, but... Just full circle in the in the last couple minutes that I have you. So I always, and this is, I guess I'm just going to use you as my therapist now. I always feel like, a, you know, when I interview guys like you or Dale or Ted or whoever, I always feel like a total pussy that I never served. I'm 32. I got into medical school and decided not to go. And now I do this podcast. But I also feel like because I'm Irish and have the gift of gab and have the ability to talk to people and I'd like to think I'm somewhat intelligent, I feel like this is probably where I can do the most good is in front of a camera. What would be your advice to someone like me, someone who still believes in America, someone who still genuinely wants to do the right thing? What do I do? How do I go about this? You know, everybody has a responsibility to make this place a better place. 
like I said, the, the, the moment you stop trying to grow in any case, intellectually, physically, or anything else, uh, you start to move backwards, okay? Um, but not everybody's wired for the same thing. I believe that God actually puts the right person in the right choices of paths, because he does give us choices. If you are willing to pay the price of admission to do what you feel that you, you, you were put on this earth to do, then you're going to have a very nice trip, no matter how many rocks you stumble over, how many cliffs you got to climb, you know, how many rivers you have to forge, because it's your path. Okay. Uh, it is the path that you chose to take that the good Lord put in front of you. The difference, too, is I truly believe that in my case and in the case of Billy, um, God forged the metal in us as we go along. And again, no comparison between me and Billy is, is being made here. You know, Billy came from a, a very, you know, modest family. Uh, his mom raised him. Uh, you know, she was very smart, um, but he had to, you know, work and and you know walk, try to walk to another town to to enlist. You know, the, all these trials and tribulations, and and you know, getting lit up like a Christmas tree in in Vietnam and and, and almost being booted out of the military, and him coming back. Um, th those are just builders and builders and builders that after a while, that's what everything is to you is build forward, keep moving, keep pushing. Uh, you believe in what you're doing, you believe in what you're doing. Uh, you know, you look at the, the Ukrainian war with, with Russia, um, the defection rates of Russians, um, besides the body bags are, are substantial. You don't see that from, from the Ukrainian side. Hmm. They're fighting for their freedom. They're fighting for their families. Guys on the Russian side, they're fighting for Putin because it's making him put be there. Yeah. Yeah. You take a step backwards, you're gonna get shot. Yeah, I think I don't know if it's like a if it's some like masculine dilemma, but I do tackle with that. I'm like, am I doing the like I didn't go to medical school. So to me, I'm like, I have to at least balance out that. The fact that I could have been a doctor and I'm not doing that. Like I said, I lost a brother to suicide. I do a lot of interviews with veterans who do nonprofits for suicide awareness. I'm, I have an OCD mind. I guess I view it as like this karmic balance sheet. I'm like, I got to do more than what I was given. I was given everything. I should be. Parents who are still married. Private Catholic school. Truly have never known. I've never wanted. I've never gone to bed hungry. I guess in my mind, I I guess there's a huge feeling of guilt. And I'm like, I have to, yeah, I have to, I have to balance out the karma sheet and I have to leave it a little better than I found it. And I think it's probably an ego thing to say, yeah. oh, because I didn't serve, it's not real. I'm like, you have to find your own way to serve. I, I truly believe, look, military only serves, so, uh, solves X number of problems. Police only serves X number of problems. Doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, you know. Um, I've, I've said this to other podcasters. I think I said it to you the, the, the first time that we met. I said, thank you for what you do, because you are allowing people to listen to the story of Billy Wall, hmm. a guy who is 
quintessential American hero. Well, you're, 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 the, you're the town crier. You're the guy that goes out there and says, this is what's happening. This is what happened. This is who this person is or who this person was. So don't, you know, the, the impact of what you're doing and your patriotism, especially in your age, um, those are big contributors because I could see a young guy who's on that fence about the United States kind of stinks or whatever, and then they see you and they hear you and they see some of the people that you're bringing on board, they go, well, wait a minute. You know, that's, I'm not used to this. So don't, don't ever be ashamed of, of what you end up uh, or, or feel the less of a person because you're not repelling from buildings, you know, pitching grenades into windows, you know. Uh, very few people do and very few people survive it. Um, but everybody can make a difference and be proud of what they do you know, this is, you know, the perfect example is, is this, the stay-at-home mom. Yeah. And everybody goes, well, yeah, she's a stay-at-home. Are you kidding me? That's hell. There's no tougher job in the world no. than a, a, a stay-at-home parent, male or female. Yeah. You know, it, it is, you know, so it's, but is that important? Absolutely. 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 You know. Yeah. And, yeah, my dad climbed the corporate ladder and worked 80-hour weeks until he retired like two years ago. And he would still joke. He'd be like, I just have to go like beat people over the head and, you know, fight other corporations. He's like, your mom had to raise y'all. Yeah. Sure. You guys, four boys going through puberty and trying to buck the system. Yeah. You got to make sure we're at school on time. He's like, good Lord in heaven. <laughs> God bless. No, my mom. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that stay at home mom. Yeah. God bless. I'd rather I'd rather storm Omaha Beach than be a stay-at-home mom. I mean, good lord! At least kill me and get the pain over with, instead of having a bunch of kids screaming at me. Um, Mr. Prado, we're coming up on an hour, so I'd let you go. I know you, I know you gotta you gotta go pack for your your trip. Um, guys, if you wanna if you wanna read more about him, please go in the description, get the audio book, or buy the physical copy. I listen to it on Audible. You can listen to our last podcast. Uh, his book's called Black Ops, and I think your website is in there as well. Mr. Prado, thank you for your time. I know I'm uh, I know I'm an oddball. Thank you for listening to my unhinged rants, and uh, I try to I try to I try to tie it all back in a, in a in a bow. It doesn't always work, but uh, thank well, you. Well, I thank you for helping me um, highlight Billy. That's that's the goal of many of us right now. There's a lot of people out there trying to uh, showcase so he's not forgotten. He yes, deserves sir. not to be forgotten. Yes, sir. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Mr. Prado, author. Black ops specialist. As you can tell, he's also a therapist. He will sit here and nod. I don't know what he's thinking internally. This kid's fucking nuts. But you know what? He sits through it like a gentleman and smiles. Thank you so much, Mr. Prado. I'll email you this episode when it's up. Can't wait to talk to you again. And thank you for uh, helping illuminate Mr. Billy Waugh's life. Mr. Prado, God bless. God bless America. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you for watching. Much love. Peace.